All right, please join me in prayer. Gracious God, we have heard your word read. We have enacted your word by, as a community, saying these kids matter so much to us. And it is humbling as a family to be able to receive that. It's also very humbling to be able to extend that to so many kids. So may we be reminded in these moments and in this message now, these lessons from your scriptures about the calling that we share together to invest in every kid, to invest in every family, to invest in every individual who walks through these doors, who is part of the broader fabric of our community. Our calling is so much bigger, and yet we are so grateful for these intimate moments where we get to brush up against your holiness and see your goodness poured out on kids and see your goodness now poured out on us as people hungry to hear from you and from your word. So may the words of my mouth and the things that we consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh yeah, that was good. I'm feeling it. Thank you guys for sharing witness to that. Thank you to Kendi and Tyler for being here. Thanks to my family for being here too. It was a pretty great day to share together. So this past week, I got to get away actually. So yes, Jill loves me a lot. Uh, I have a group of friends from seminary that we've been getting together once a year for the last five or six years, more or less since we've graduated. And these are guys that I got to be close friends with uh, when we were doing our our seminary degree together. And we've all kind of settled in the Seattle area. We're all doing different ministry contexts. A couple of us are pastors. One guy works at a university. Another guy works for Young Life. And we get together once a year because we realized after a few years of, of doing ministry that it was hard and that it was something that we needed other people to share in. And that is something that I think we all kind of long for, but it's just one of those things that feels out of reach. Like, who could I get away with? Who could I sort of be able to be vulnerable with? That's who these guys are. And this week, I was reminded that one of the great benefits when we get together is not what we do with each other. We go have adventures, we hike, we play, we get to check in. What we do is we allow each other to rest. And I'm not just talking about extra sleep which, of course, I was looking forward to this year more than I ever have. We get to be together, and the kind of rest that I'm talking about is when you're with someone that you can be vulnerable with, and you can lay down your burdens. You can lay down the things that have weighed you down for far too long, and you can do it in kind of an unfettered way. You know how, like, when people ask you, what's your job and what do you do? You kind of have to give a little background, give a little context. Well, with these friends of mine that I get away with, there is no explaining of context, because we just get what the other people do. We understand each other's character. We understand the shape of each other's calling. And there's no posturing. There's no preening. There's no trying to, you know, self-aggrandize. None of that. And my theory is that we all need a place like this where we can just simply lay down our burdens, more than a Sabbath rest, more than that one day a week that we set apart as holy. We need a place and we need a context of relationships where when we are finished being with those people, someone can turn to us, like my wife turns to me after these retreats and says, you look restored. You look like something that's been missing was put back in. And maybe, you, some, of you, maybe some of you can relate to this. Maybe some of you have been doing this for a long time. A lot of the pastors I look up to have done this for decades, and I hope to do the same. But my question for all of us isn't whether you've got a group like this, because if you do or you don't, that's, that's fine. But my question is, who or what restores you? The last line of the psalm today is, he restores my soul. 
He puts something back together again that's been lost. David, the author of this psalm that we're preaching on all throughout the build-up to Easter, throughout Lent, Psalm 23, he knows about needing a place to be restored. You look at any chapter of David's story, moments of glory where he's leading his people in a great way, moments of deep brokenness where he committed adultery and murder, this roller coaster ride of his life could only be something that Almighty God brought together for him and that God protected him and gave him his grace and gave him his mercy in the midst of it so that he could make it and endure it. God has been with David through all of the ups and downs of his life, and he knows where to turn. He's writing this psalm not as some idealistic, like, I think this would be nice. He's writing this psalm as someone who says, I know where to turn. I know where to go. I know the shepherd that I can turn to and be cared for. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the text that Maddie read for us, that she memorized for us. Nice job, Maddie. In three different questions. And you can write these down. They're also in your bulletin. The questions are, where am I? What do I need? And what does my soul need? Where am I? What do I need? And what does my soul need? And the big idea that kind of unites all of this is that God unveils his incredible provision for us by answering the deepest longings of our souls. More than just any kind of thing he can provide, what he answers for us is, what does your soul, my soul, actually need? And the answer is restoration. So let's talk about context, okay? Let's just set the stage for a little bit. By context, I mean what surrounds us physically. So right now, welcome to downtown Kirkland. It's lovely. Welcome to Peter Kirk Community Center, our home, which we love, which we're so grateful for. It's more than just physical space, though, that defines our context, Think about the circles of relationships that you're involved in. Think about the people you probably spend most of your time with every day, which are your coworkers, the people that might be sitting next to you. If you're a parent staying at home, your coworkers are your children and other parents who come beside you to remind you that there's a life outside of that, that you are okay. No, you're not crazy. This is hard. That's your context. If you're in a hospital, your context is your unit, your floor, your patients. There's a relational context, there's a physical context, there's emotional, social, spiritual contexts. David's going to talk to us, though, about a context of care. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 23 with me. And I'm just going to read verse 1, and then we're going to kind of keep going through the text the rest of the morning together. Psalm 23, verse 1. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What David is saying here is that the intimate love of And personal level of care given to him by God is unbelievable. It is so rooted in God's knowledge of him and his care for him that there's no way it just happened randomly. There's no way that a shepherd randomly is able to care for his or her flock. A shepherd has to devote hours and hours and hours of time, a lifetime of caring for the sheep. And there's nothing the sheep can do. There's no amount of working themselves into a lather over their provision that they can get anywhere with it. They need the shepherd to care for them. John Goldengay is a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. Go Fuller. Woo! Sorry, Princeton folks. And he is an Old Testament scholar. He's got a new translation of the Old Testament coming out. I just saw a snippet of it the other day, and it just happened to be the preaching text for today. So, of course, i got to share it with y'all. So listen to this. I love the way he translates this. This is Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, in John Goldengay's translation called The First Testament. My shepherd, being Yahweh, I don't lack. He enables me to lie down in grassy pastures. He leads me to settled water. He turns my life back. 
We talked about that two weeks ago, about that personal name of God, Yahweh, where God says, I'm going to be in intimate relationship with you. I'm extending a deep level of trust, and even in a human sense, vulnerability. I'm going to show you my heart for you, and you can call me Yahweh. And I am going to show you my provision. I'm going to show you how much I love you and I care for you. And I think Golden Gate's translation really personalizes the text that we've heard so often. This is who my shepherd is. And that's what David was able to put his feet down on. And if you want to write down kind of a big idea for the moment, here it comes. Rest comes when we know we're provided for. You and I can rest. We can lay down our burdens like I'm able to do with my guys group. We can relax. We can be trusting of others. We can be trusting of Almighty God when we know we're provided for. When we're not having to hem and haw about where things come from. God provides for us in ways that shows how much he knows us and how much he specifically is able to give us exactly what we need in the moment together. So what's something you need? What's something that your heart longs for? What's something that you're so used to doing that when people let you off the hook from doing it, you go, you know what? That was a nice break. I kind of needed that. For my retreat this past week with my guys group, I'm, I'm kind of a connector. Like I like getting people together. I like being able to sort of set a context for someone or like, hey, we're going to meet here at this time, right? Like I would be the guy that's like texting people, you know, okay, we're going to be at you know, dinner at this hour or whatever. It drives Jill crazy because then I make contrary plans to the good plans that she has made and it's just nuts. But when I'm with these guys, at least historically, I've been the guy that starts the email chain that says, okay, we're, gonna, you know, we're getting away together. It's coming up soon. Where do you guys want to go? And then I send the next email to remind everybody. Then I send the text to remind everybody. And then, you know, eventually we get there. And the guys this year gave me such a gift. They said to me, you're not doing that this year. Like, don't worry about it. We got it. And I think they said that because they love me. <laughs> Maybe they were annoyed, but I think they said it because they love me. They, they literally said that, like, you're not allowed to plan, stop it, you know, like, slap my hand, like, don't do it. And I loved it, because I literally just got to show up on this retreat, I didn't have the place picked out, didn't have to worry about food or anything like that, I just got to come. And you know why that was such a gift to me? Because I'm known. That wasn't just some random, like, sure, we'll just take it off your plate. Those guys know me, and they look at me, and they go, you're fine, I know your instinct is to do this. We know you do this because you love us. Don't do it this time. We got it. That is the type of love and care that the shepherd gives. The shepherd is using my friends to remind me of how I really need to rest, which is just letting those things go. So, Bethany, has someone been trying to do that for you and you're not listening? Has someone been saying to you, let me take this off your plate, like I got this, and you're going, no, 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 I I like doing this, let me do it. May I make just a pastoral suggestion? Just stop. Can you let someone else care for you? The flip side of that is, if you've been checked out, if you've been detached, and someone's saying to you, like, get in here. Like, we want you. Like, come be a part of this. And you're going, no, 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 no. I got a date with Netflix. I'm good. Stop. Don't do that. If you're too prone to leaning in and doing the scheduling and the coordinating rest from that, if you're too prone to kind of let it all slide by you and just show up like, hey, this is nice, they're two sides of the same coin. Both are dangerous, 
And what we need in the middle of it is rest. David's context shows us the kind of rest that we need. He was in a long-term, trusting, deeply rooted relationship with God. It was expressed to him profoundly through his relationships with people like Jonathan, his buddy, like Nathan, the prophet, who pulled no punches when he called him on the carpet. David knew the importance of this intimate, in-your-face kind of love, and he received it. So how about us? Are there places where we need to be receptive to that kind of care this week so that we can truly rest? One of our goals throughout this sermon series is to help our congregation worship better. Just to be more present, to be able to really appreciate what God is doing when he gathers us together for worship. When you come here for worship every Sunday, when you order your life, your family's life around this time, you're actually inviting them to rest. You're inviting them to come and be here together and to say, this is important for us. This is set-apart time with God, and it is such a gift. Because this answers the question, where am I? Where are you? Right now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're home. You're home. You're in a place where you belong, where you can be restored. So let us not forget that as we try to get kids in the car, as we try to move stuff out of the way, as we reorder our schedules, as we say no to certain things. You are doing so so you can come home. So you can truly rest. That's one of the things I'm most proud of for our congregation, is that this just feels like such a space where you can rest. And I'm so grateful for that. So that's our first section, where am I? We are here, we are home. Our second section is, what do I need? What, do I, what am I asking God to provide for me? Now the root of this question is in the second verse of the psalm. So turn there again with me. Psalm 23, verse 2. He, the shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Another way to translate that last phrase is waters of rest or waters at rest. One of the pastors at our teaching team meeting this week was saying that when sheep come up to a place to drink, they actually get freaked out if they see the water moving too quickly. If it makes too loud of a noise, if it's kind of a rushing stream, they won't go near it. They need calm, peaceful waters to be able to drink. Because they're just so skittish by nature. They'll just take off in a moment. We need water because water keeps us alive. And if you think about it through David's context, he understood water as someone who cared for sheep and knew that the sheep needed it, right? His early part of his career. He was also someone who grew up in the desert, in the wilderness. If you're from a more arid climate, you know that the abundance of rain that we have around here is quite a luxury. And you need to have water to survive when you're in the wilderness. When David was on the run from King Saul... Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago in 1 Samuel. He is running for his life. Saul is after him. He is in the wilderness. He can't rest for a moment. And don't you think, I've never been chased or pursued within an inch of my life, but don't you think if you're David and you're on the run and your adrenaline's up and you can't rest and you find a spring or a stream of water, that that's just the greatest thing ever to be able to take a drink from that. It's not just keeping you alive. It's giving you a place to rest and be restored. Now, my Texas relatives will agree with me on this. There's a great statement. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't. You can't make him drink. You can lead a sheep to water, but you can't make him drink. They're just not going to do it. W. Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I would highly recommend it. And he is an actual shepherd. He tended a flock at one point that was the size of about 300 sheep on some land that he owned in British Columbia. And he writes about four freedoms that sheep need to survive. Sheep need these freedoms in order to be able to actually rest. They need water, of course. But the four freedoms are freedom from fear. They don't need to be afraid of predators. 
They need to be free from conflict with other sheep. I can't imagine a sheep fight, but I guess they happen. A lot of gently touching each other. Freedom from pests, freedom from anything kind of crawling around them, bugs, and freedom from hunger. Freedom from fear, freedom from conflict, freedom from pests, freedom from hunger. Oh man, that's a sermon series in and of itself. The shepherd helps set the sheep free from those fears. Do you know those fears? Do you know those burdens? The fear that we all live with, I think this is especially true in a hypermobile, hyper-successful society like ours, where the quiet question that keeps us up at night, despite our success, despite our influence, despite all that we've been given, is, am I enough? Am I really enough? For my kids, for my job, for my spouse, am I enough? I think we all wrestle with that deep down. That's something that prevents us from rest. That's the point that I'm trying to make. Shepherds know what sheep need to have removed from them so that they can rest, so that when they come to a spring, they can drink, and so that when it's time for them to go down, they can go down. Fear has to be taken away. Conflict has to be taken away. We live in constant conflict with our neighbors, with our coworkers. We got pests. We got stuff crawling around. We got things that we don't like about ourselves. We have aspects of our personality, our physical bodies that we would change. And we're hungry. We are a hungry people. And there are people in our community that are deeply hungry. And we're trying to meet those needs through our partnership with Pantry Packs. We're recognizing the need of hunger even in an affluent community like the East Side. All these things are real for us. That's the point I'm trying to make. And my question for us is, which one hits you? Which one hits me? A basic need that we struggle with in the midst of all of this is that we just don't trust our shepherd. And that's hard, and I get it. I'll tell you one of the places of greatest struggle for me in terms of trust is time. Oh, man. I don't have enough time to do this. I didn't make enough time to accomplish this project. Every day, it is a stress for me when I'm driving home from work. I'm trying to get ready to be home to be with my kids. And so often the refrain is, yeah, but I didn't finish that, and I didn't get this done, and this, and this, and this. It's always about the gaps. Well, the other day, I'm out for a run, and this was two weeks ago when we had one of those mornings with some snow on the ground, like just a beautiful winter morning. And there's a path I can take near my house that takes me up on a ridge, and I can actually see the Cascades, like, really clear. Like, it's awesome, right? And I'm looking out on the Cascades, and there's fresh snow on the ground, And there's just a few footprints ahead of me. Like, I'm one of the first people out there, right? Like, isn't that fun when you come across fresh snow and you're like, oh, like, I'm one of the first people in the door. Like, this is great. And I'm thinking about time. I'm thinking about my day. And all of a sudden, I'm struck with this thought. And I hope this is helpful to you because this has been extremely helpful to me. Our God has perfectly designed every day so that there is ample time, abundant time, to get done what he wants to get done. Our God is designed every single day so that you and I, in the scope of the things that he wants for us to do, which might not necessarily be what I want to do, but what he wants me to do, there is more than enough time for me to do that in his good provision every single day. Isn't that great? Like, can we just give an amen to that? Amen. That's awesome. I love knowing that every day is perfectly designed with the right amount of time for me to do and to be the person that God has called me to be. Because God is the Lord of time. He made time. He allows us to live into the time he's given to us. And that's one of those places where I'm going, okay, I need more time. I need more time. I need more time. And God's going, shh, it's okay. There's more than enough time for you today. 
That's a pest that I need to get off my back. If I'm a sheep, that's a pest that I don't need. How about you? Is your pest being able to make enough money? Is your pest, you don't like where you live? These are serious, weighty things. I'm not belittling any of it. My pest is time. And I need to remind myself that the shepherd provides. So one of the things that my friends and I do at the end of every retreat that we do is we go, what's your takeaway? Like, what's the thing you're going to go do, you're going to try to sort of bring to life in the next couple of weeks? And one of my things was, I'm going to try to shut down that self-talk that says, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time. And what I'm going to try to do is replace it with, God's given me all the time to do what he wants me to do. All the time. What's the thing, what's the pest that you need to step out of so you can rest? What's the fear that you need to let go of? Start reading the Psalms. You hear David's confidence, you hear David's courage all throughout the scripture. It is amazing. And if you're having trouble kind of connecting that to a pest in your own life or to something that you, I don't know, I'm not really struggling right now, I'm okay, think about somebody else. Think about meeting a need for someone. Think about partnering with us with pantry packs or getting on board when we start to figure out what we're going to do with Paradise and Dunlap Elementary School. Dunlap's the school that's closely located to Paradise Baptist Church in Rainier Beach. It's one of the least served, least resourced schools in the entire region. And God's got something for us to do there. We're going to do something about that in August. And I'm excited for that. And that's our opportunity to get out of ourselves and to go take care of a distraction for someone else, these kids at the school, so they can rest and they can learn. So you want to be a part of that? Come talk to me. It's going to be good. It's going to be real good. So we've answered the questions somewhat, right? Where am I? What do I need? What does my soul need? That's where David's going with all this. He's building to the crescendo of this word soul. He restores my soul. You say that with me? He restores my soul. That's the promise. That's what's written in the scripture. So to, in order to be able to really look at that, you've got to go, what does my soul need? Okay, well, we've got to step back just a minute and go, what's a soul? I like the way Dallas Willard defines soul. He says the soul is the thing that holds everything together. If the parts of a person are your mind and your will and your body and all these other parts of you, your soul is the thing that God has given to you to keep everything in place. Life-changing book that I read a couple of years ago is just called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg. One of our small groups has studied this, and a few friends of mine have read it too. John Ortberg wrote this book about his friendship with Dallas Willard, who's one of my heroes. He was a philosopher at USC, wrote some really amazing stuff. But one of Willard's contentions is, we got to be people who care for our souls to follow Jesus Christ well, because our souls get shredded. Your soul gets shredded, my soul gets shredded through the broken lives that we lead, through our sins, through generational stuff, things that we're still dealing with, with parents and ancestors and all these kinds of things. Our souls get beat up. They can't be destroyed, but they get beat up. And one of the attitudes that Ortberg encourages is an attitude of rest. So David wrestled with this as well. David wrote about the soul all throughout the Psalms. And if you want to read kind of outside of the, the scope today, read 2 Samuel 11 and 12 this week. Because this is a moment when David's soul is really under a microscope. It's when he cheats on his wife. It's when he has an extramarital affair. And it's when he murders a guy. And my contention is, is that his soul was torn up. Because if you look at the outside, he's doing fine. The kingdom was in decent shape. People were able to be fed. Things were going fine. But there was this undercurrent for David that wasn't being attended to. 
And I think we all get to this place. So John Ortberg writes uh, in this book about a moment that he came to in his ministry. He's a pastor of a church in California. And he said his church basically said to him, like, no, you really need a break. Like, we're going to send you on sabbatical. You need to rest. And so they send him off for a little while. And Dallas Willard is one of his mentors. So he goes to see Dallas Willard. He goes to his home in Los Angeles. And Ortberg writes this, I had a whole day to spend with Dallas. So I sit down on his couch and I told him I felt frustrated because the people at the church I served were not changing more. Don't worry, I would never apply this to you guys, never. I asked him what I needed to do to help our church experience greater levels of spiritual growth. There was a long pause and then Dallas said, you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. What? No, I corrected him. I wasn't asking about me. I was asking about other people. I was wondering what I need to make my church do. I was thinking about a book everyone should read or a program everyone should go through or a prayer system everyone should commit to. Yes, John, I get it. Dallas said with great patience and care. I know you were thinking of those things, but that's not what they need most. And I don't want you guys to miss this. This applies to congregations, to companies, to families, to neighborhoods. Don't miss this. The main thing you will give your family, the main thing you will give your company, the main thing you will give your congregation, your school, is just like the main thing that you will give to God. It is the person you become. If your soul is unhealthy, you can't help anybody. You don't send a doctor with pneumonia to care for patients with immune disorders. You and nobody else are responsible for the well-being of your own soul. So you must arrange your days so that you're experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. It's almost maddening in its simplicity, right? But it's so profound. You must arrange your days. How are your days arranged? How are my days arranged? Here's how I try to interpret this in my own life. I'm not going to give up having my cup of coffee with God in the morning. Like, that's just too important for me. But I recognize that there are plenty of folks that go, that doesn't work for me, or I've never been able to really get that going. Fine, take some baby steps. Start ordering your life around markers that you know work for you. I know a super-duper busy family from this church who has told me that since our Rule of Life sermon series last fall, instead of driving to work, listening to talk radio and getting mad, they drive to work and they listen to the scriptures and they listen to sermons and they try to talk about what they're listening to and they get home together. That's awesome. That's a powerful way to order your life and your day. Me and my friends have managed to pull off this guys retreat once a year. Maybe you need something similar. Maybe you need to find a place where you can go and be with people and you can just rest. How are you going to order your days, order your weeks, order your months, your years, so that these rhythms come back into place, so that your soul is healthy, so you can lead people well, so you can lead your children well, so that you can be the presence of Christ in your neighborhood in a way that is deep and rich and sincere. A lot of us are really doing well at this. And for those of you that are, I just commend you. Keep it up. Keep setting a good example for all of us. If you haven't yet found that rhythm, so order your days. Grab this book. Grab any of these books. I ain't selling them, but they're there. Like, get them. They're out there. They're so helpful. Your soul needs this richness and this restoration, and so does mine. You need to be restored. 
My hope is that this week ahead, all of us will find something we can commit to, something we can step into to achieve that. So to wrap up, where are we? We're home. We're in the midst of God's provision for us in worship, and we can rest because we know we're provided for. We know we are provided for. And this week, when you are facing stress, when you like me with time, when you're tempted to get out of your head about stuff, when I'm at least at rest, invite Jesus into that space and go, I don't know what's going on right now, God, but I need your eyes to see and your ears to hear so I don't live this way because I want to live differently. What do I need? We need to trust God for his ongoing provision. So when you open up your bank account, thank you, God. I'm really grateful for every penny that's in here. How could I be more generous this week? Any of those kinds of things that create stress over needs, offer them to God. What does my soul need? I'll post this on our Facebook page later on because I think it's just such a helpful quote. I need to arrange my days so that I am experiencing a deep contentment, joy, and confidence in my everyday life with God. We can do that, Bethany. We can get better and better at that. And so what I want to invite us to do in the midst of all of this is to pray together and hold these things out to God. I'm going to invite the band to come join me up here. And this is just a lot to take on. And so I want to offer us just a little bit of time to reflect on it. I'll pray for us, but my hope in this prayer is that we would, able, we would be able to rest even in just a moment of prayer and consider these things that have been before us. So I invite you to join me now as we pray together. Let's pray. Mighty God, we confess to you that as a people, we fall short of your rest. We fall short of trusting you. We think we can take care of all of our fears like those sheep. And instead, we're flat on our backs and we don't know where to go. So God, we ask for your forgiveness because a lot of times we've, we've taken ourselves here. And a lot of times life has taken us there. We've gone through job loss. We've faced divorce. We've had kids turn their backs on us. We've had all these things come at us that we're not necessarily blaming ourselves for. And yet we still don't know the right way to go. So God, forgive us for presuming that we can do your work. And as you forgive us from that presumption, may the care of Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, the true and better David, may his care enter into the deepest parts of our being, into our souls, and restore us where we're broken. Put us back together again. Fill us up. Thank you that we can always turn to you and ask you for help no matter what. We need it. We need you. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.